0: Hello and welcome to Unpacking My Privilege, a resource for intersectional feminists who are changing the world. My name is Chanel Peterson, my pronouns are she and her, and I'm so infinitely grateful to have you here listening today. Today's topic is heavy, it is controversial, and it is necessary to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Rachel Lorenzo, who started Indigenous Woman Rising to talk about abortion. I can't wait to talk about abortion and the intersection of Indigenous rights. Please welcome Rachel to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rachel, for being on the podcast. It's so lovely to have you. Thank you. for having me. And it's Rachel, right? I pronounced your name Mm -hmm. right? Perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, the first thing that I would love you to do is please introduce yourself and what you do. Um, Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm Rachel Lorenzo. I'm from the Pueblo of Laguna, where I grew up. I am also Mescalero Apache and Chicana. Uh, I live here in Albuquerque on my own Pueblo land. I founded Indigenous Women Raising... Uh, at the end of 2013, beginning of beginning of 2014. Um, yeah, I have two kids. I live with them and my husband and my mother-in-law, and we have three cats, and I'm always trying to figure out how to adopt more cats. Uh, and I love to bake, and I love abortion.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, I love that. I, I love that. You even mentioned, like like, fun little things that um we don't talk about when we're like introducing ourselves mm-hmm. usually we're like I have this is my career and this is why I should You take, <laughs> take it seriously and mm-hmm. yeah that was an awesome answer
1: <laughs> thank you well you know what if people don't want to take me seriously that's on them that's not on me I know I'm great mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yes absolutely so my first question for you is how did you become passionate about sexual health and reproductive justice? And then, um, obviously very interested to know more about indigenous women rising. Yeah, for
1: sure. So, um, growing up, I've always known something about politics. My parents are very, um, politically involved. They have worked in, in tribal government and federal government and state government. Um, and I, I just grew up loving politics and and this uh term pro-choice um which I don't Uh, particularly agree uh, with anymore but my my I grew up very catholic and so for my parents to be pro-choice um has always been very important Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. and um I've always been all about abortion access like it's none of my business what people do and as a teenager um You know, I went through a puberty ceremony uh, on my Apache side. You know, we celebrate menstruation. And as I got, you know, to be a junior and a senior, I saw my classmates become pregnant. And it just made me feel so bad when my classmates would make fun of them or, you know, they were being shunned by teachers. And my mom was 17 when she had me. so, So being a young parent and choosing to carry to term um, or have an abortion, like young people who are teenaged are, are incredibly smart. They're not dumb. Um, and yeah, I just, I've seen all of that around me, no matter what we choose, whether we're a teenager or not, our decisions will always be criticized by someone. Um, and then I got pregnant when I was 21 with my daughter and I had her at 22, as a senior in college during spring break on a Saturday, went back on Wednesday for a midterm uh, and then got pregnant with my son in graduate school. And so during uh, 2013, um, when I was working on an, on a campaign to protect abortion access, I found out I was pregnant um, and not with my son. And around 13 weeks, I found out this pregnancy was not viable. I needed an abortion in an emergency and, uh, was denied care. It was an incredibly embarrassing and, and physically painful experience. Um, I did get the abortion that I needed, uh, otherwise I would have become septic. And, uh, you know, after that experience and developing an opioid addiction, like there isn't a whole lot of space if at all, for us as Indigenous people, as Indigenous parents, uh, to talk about um, about sex, or about pregnancy, or about miscarriage, or abortion, any of the things, you know, that we consider reproductive health, we just don't talk about it very much. Um, as, like, specifically as Indigenous people, like, we always hear the term children are sacred, but what about when we don't want to be parents? What about, you know, how we feel if we got pregnant and it didn't work out the way we wanted it to, or, you know, we just felt the relief of finally having an abortion. Like we don't, we don't talk about that. And so Indigenous Women Rising was a thing that I, I just wanted to have like an intentional space for indigenous people to come together, even if they didn't agree with abortion themselves, that you know, those folks also have abortions, and they also have children, right? Uh, for us to be able to have our feelings validated and know that we're not terrible people for the reproductive decisions that we make.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, and my mom was also a young mom. Um, I think she had me when she, she was twenty years old, um, and you know she went from uh you know raising her two sisters because we came from a poor family. Um, so basically she she was in charge of looking after her two younger sisters, um, while my grandma in, uh yeah and, and my grandpa maybe worked, I think. <laughs> and, um, yeah, she went from raising these sisters to giving birth to me and having to raise me. And necessary. she was in a very unhealthy relationship with my father. Um, so I actually told her on, uh, on Thanksgiving, um, break last month that I, I wish that she would have had an abortion. Because it's sad for me to see how abused she was and how, you know, her quality of life was significantly lower because I exist. And I love, I love existing. Like I, I'm happy that I was born. I just, I, 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 I wish that my mom would have had an abortion, but she did tell me that she is happy that she had me because like, like, What she wanted more in her life is like she wanted to be a mom and um, she just wishes that she would have went after her dreams um, rather than just like, you know, trying to make it work as a mom. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I definitely lean towards um, like getting like, please Anybody who needs one, get an abortion. But I'm scared to say that because I have a very conservative family from South Dakota.
1: <laughs> Just a, a small tidbit. So, um, about a third of all of our callers over the last almost three years now actually come from the Dakotas. Our indigenous people going from north from South Dakota to Fargo, and from even, like, around the Dakotas, going to Red River Women's Clinic in Fargo. Um, So, yeah, just an interesting tidbit. But thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like – I I definitely empathize. Like, our moms should have had better support no matter what they they chose. And kind of morbidly funny thing, like, I've had anti-abortion folks say (laughs) – what if your mom would have aborted you? And I've lived with depression for a majority of my life and like, jokes on you, like kind of wish she would have, like, <laughs> I, I wish you would have had an abortion. And you know, that's not to say I, I'm, I'm not happy I exist, but it's like, how would we know? Cause we wouldn't be here. So I wouldn't like have an opinion on it, but like also our, our mothers should have been able to be supported no matter what they chose.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm really happy that you brought up um, South Dakota because um, on Thanksgiving, I definitely made sure to contact. um, Her name is Stephanie Big Eagle. Um, She is an author. She does um, traditional indigenous tattoos. Um, And we talked a lot about South Dakota because I'm very curious to know Um, how indigenous people in South Dakota have been treated. I think that it's really important to um, bring up now, why focus on reproductive health um, around indigenous folks?
1: Yeah, so um, a bit of a history lesson for folks who don't know, Um, Indian Health Services is a treaty, right? It's a federally run health program. Um, It is a treaty right from the United States government to tribes uh, as a as a thank you for us stealing your land. We're going to give you health care. So and and it is over six billion dollars underfunded here in New Mexico, where I am. I think we have 12 or 13 different IHS facilities and there is no. Standardization as far as what kind of health care we get, including reproductive health. Not every IHS facility has an obstetrician or an OBGYN. Um, so, the IHS that I grew up with, um, which is located in Acoma Pueblo, which is right next to the Pueblo I grew up in, um, that IHS hospital serves Acoma Pueblo, Laguna Pueblo, and a part of Navajo Nation called Canoncito. So, it's called ACL. And the ER is not functioning 24 seven, to my knowledge, to this day, there is still no OB on staff. Um, They carry very limited forms of uh, contraception. Uh, They focus um, on um, like a little bit or not even focus. They have some breastfeeding support um, because of the height amendment, IHS yeah. can't obviously do abortion care because they don't have <laughs> ODs all the time, um, but it just, it feels like such a stigmatizing thing to talk about, and the crappy thing is, is that when it comes to Indian Health Services, our tribal leaders do have some say as far as what kind of health care will be provided at these facilities, and too many times our reproductive health gets put to the side, um, you know with my organization, we don't do a teen pregnancy prevention model. Like we do not believe in that. We believe that, you know, if a young person becomes pregnant, they know best what, what to do for their bodies. And, um, and, and we don't believe in that. So when we're trying to talk to our community, to our tribal leaders about sexual health It's like, well, teens shouldn't be having kids anyway. Well, why aren't we talking about consensual sexual relationships? Why aren't we talking about trauma-informed sex education, LGBTQ uh, sex education, sex education that's pleasure inclusive in a way where it's not stigmatizing the very normal uh, feelings that our bodies have when we're going through puberty, when we become teenagers, um, and I feel like sometimes we contribute to our own uh, lack of knowledge um, by refusing to acknowledge that we are sexual people, um, that even Native people are sexual people, right? And and um, since the beginning of colonization, we have had our autonomy stripped away. It, it even came down to our shoulders being considered so shameful that the Spanish right. gave us Freaking uh, uh, nightgowns to wear under our traditional wear because they could see our breasts on the side and they could see our shoulders, right? So, like from the very beginning, um, you know what we could wear and uh, who had sex with us and and not necessarily who we who we wanted to have sex with, right? Um, and the future of our own children, our bodily autonomy has been threatened since the beginning of colonization and. As women, as queer people, we have always had some kind of leadership role. And so when we're talking about reproductive health for indigenous people specifically, it's not just access to abortion or access to contraception. It's about not being surveilled by the government um, and being seen as an unfit parent, which unfortunately is why the Indian Child Welfare Act exists. The federal government said okay we've been taking your kids away too much and putting them with white families to assimilate them so here's this law to hopefully you know if we do decide to take away your kids that your kids will hopefully go to a native family in your community so they're not stripped away from their culture and their traditions um and now that's being debated in in texas that the indian child welfare act is is reverse racism which is we know is bullshit. Um, But the ability to not be able to raise our kids in safe communities, raise the children we have, to be able to space our children or not have children, that is reproductive justice. And every decision that we have made over the centuries about how we start our families has been interrupted by colonization. I mean, we even had the federal government signing off on forced sterilization program for for full-blooded, quote, full-blooded native women And not just us, but disabled people, sex workers, black girls, um, undocumented or immigrant uh, Latina women who are giving birth in the Los Angeles County Hospital who are forcibly sterilized and being told by by medical providers, your baby's in danger, you need to sign this with no forms in Spanish, no one who speaks Spanish and being coerced into having their, their tubes tied so they can't ever have children again because of eugenics. And, and those racist viewpoints. So our, our issues or our barriers around accessing reproductive health have been here. And so when people say like, what about the fall of Roe, we have been operating as if Roe doesn't exist for decades already. We are already experiencing that, and it's really disingenuous for our movement of people who care about reproductive health and justice to say, we have to save Roe, when Roe is like the bare minimum, right, of, of what, quite frankly, we are entitled to um, as people who are able to give birth or to get pregnant, um, so yeah, I, I I really feel like in our movement, if we could just center indigenous people, undocumented people, disabled people, sex workers around, you know, what reproductive justice could look like, it will benefit everybody. Um, but yeah, that's just like a, a quick (laughs) uh, background on like how, how it is for, for indigenous communities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that Um, you had mentioned like the intersectionality of it, LGBTQ, um, sex education. Um, and absolutely. I wish that, you know, there's the head of feminism or when you think of a feminist, you think of a white able-bodied woman who's Gloria Steinem or something. Yeah. Just trying to like make more money and talk about, uh, body hair or something like that. This is mm-hmm. um, coming from Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. Love that book. Um, and uh, yeah, it's absolutely essential uh, to involve Indigenous people and LGBTQ people in our liberation, like liberate them because that literally liberates us all. All oppression is interconnected.
1: Yes. And, and I'm so glad you brought that up. Back in 2017 or 2018, um, I was at a breastfeeding conference for the United States Breastfeeding Committee, I think. Uh, I think that's what USBC stands for. And um, there was someone from, from Appalachia, from that area of the country who was talking about the need to include poor white women um, in conversations about race um, and and class, and how it is class warfare to to um, not try to include them in organizing um, and continue the work of showing how our struggles for liberation are so interconnected and not so much as like one race, the human race, but rather there are similarities where we could work together um, because poor white women, in those areas are also faced with body shaming and stigma around their, their choices with pregnancy and their choices with choosing to breastfeed and the sexualization of their bodies and, um, the wage gap, all the things that impact us maybe at, to a greater degree are still impacting poor white women in particular. And, um, yeah, it's, We have to think about how is what we're doing going to liberate everybody. Um, So yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is such a a key point I feel that's missing from conversations about reproductive health and justice, that it's not just about securing access to one kind of healthcare and and destigmatizing it. It is how is this one part of our existence, this reality that we live in, that abortion exists, how is that going to contribute to the larger vision of us being free?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Now, I think it's time. Is abortion wrong? Because I know that, like, for instance, my very conservative family um, thinks that it's, you know, quote unquote, killing babies. And Mm -hmm. I personally (laughs) see it as you know a uh uh what is it called like a scientific process that has not yet formed a child
1: mhm abortion is not wrong abortion is it just is it's been here since time immemorial um and and i i will keep saying this until the day I die my ancestors had abortions they knew what plants around them what things in the environment were going to help them control their fertility whether it was helping them be more fertile or to start their period again because they know that you know they were pregnant and they also had the help of the community and that um no matter what our bodies as we exist in this realm are sacred. Yes. And our children are sacred. And that, and we don't know for sure what our ancestors thought, our ancestors thought about abortion, but they had them because there are so many um, stories. And I have a, a book here around me somewhere that shows the kinds of plants and how to use them to induce your period it has been here forever. And whether or not someone thinks is wrong is irrelevant to the reality that it exists. And, you know, when I was pregnant, I referred to this fetus as my baby. And that's okay. I can own that for myself. And if someone who is pregnant feels like that is their baby that is their truth and who are we to take that away from them and you viewing it as a scientific process that's not for me to judge and that's not for anyone else to judge and when it comes to the process of it of a pregnancy no longer being within us there is no way for anyone outside of that person to fully understand the pain that a person would have gone through, whether they had carried that pregnancy to term or not, and that it is cruel to pregnant people to keep them pregnant, and that adoption is not an option. Like, that is not that's traumatic and it's traumatic for the pregnant person because they might be facing life circumstances that are going to impact them uh, in the in the hospital room so they're not only being traumatized by carrying this pregnancy to term that they didn't want but also possibly facing discrimination when they go into labor and facing health complications and their body not ever being the same again they're they're organs not being the same like their bladder and their intestines and their stomach they might have developed a heart condition um you know they might have had some kind of permanent hormonal change that will keep them uh, that will have to they will need like more cognitive care or like mental health care and help with like executive functioning after a pregnancy right like there are all of these why would we subject someone to that and before all of this (laughs) like the 19th century abortion was so normal not just for indigenous people but for black people for um for white people and and for white women like I just I don't I don't understand what is so hard about just letting people be and letting people live their lives um there is no way we could ever make any kind like am I going to tell you oh you can't take a shit so I'm you really need to go get a colonoscopy because God said like I we don't do this for any other medical procedure except abortion which is the safest procedure that anybody can get whether um, surgical which is not really surgical but suction or medication abortion right they are so much safer than said colonoscopy or any any other kind of procedure. And yet there is no other medical procedure in the world that a person will go to the furthest lengths to get access to. Whether it is taking out a loan, selling off your possessions, drinking hard chemicals, inserting something into the vagina. There, there is no medical reason on this planet other than abortion where pregnant people have gone to extreme lengths to just not be pregnant. And that is cruel. So whether or not it is wrong or a baby or what is, it's not even, that's, That shouldn't even be a question when talking about abortion because it's so subjective.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so um, I'd love to know, what would you say to a pregnant person who is thinking about getting an abortion?
1: Um, It's okay. Two things. I would tell them it's okay to change your mind for the abortion fund that I run we have definitely had people who are like thank you so much for validating me i just wanted someone to listen to me and i think i i, I don't want to have an abortion anymore i want to carry this to term and then at that point we do a 180 and we say okay do you know where to get to start your prenatal care do you need you know, do you have money for diapers? Do you have a, a plan, you know, for, for chest or breastfeeding we can help you with a pump? Um, so yeah, you know, it's okay to change your mind. And also, it's okay to wait. It's okay to take your time. I have been present for an abortion in all three trimesters. And every person that I was a doula for, all had such varied reasons for having an abortion at different times of their pregnancy, and excuse me, they are all valid. They're, And it was really, they felt the need to justify their reason for having an abortion at 20 weeks, at 28 weeks, at 30 weeks. And I was like, it doesn't matter. What matters here is that you're safe and you're getting the care that you needed. And you know, I've had people say, I feel so guilty for waiting for so long, but I just I needed to know if this was the right decision. And you know, they might have waited till they were 26 weeks to make their decision, and that's okay. Um, I feel like there's just so much stigma around those two things, like, oh, you were just gonna go abort your baby, like. <laughs> Well, I changed my mind. Like, I felt like carrying this pregnancy to term was the best thing for me. And why didn't you make a decision sooner? You know, this is that's already a baby. Who fucking cares? Like, what matters is the pregnant person and their well being. No matter what they choose, that person might still feel grief. They might feel relief, but they might also feel grief. There's just no way to project or predict how we feel or how they will feel no matter what they choose and we also have people who are like i very much regret my abortion but i know it was the right decision at the time but i wish i had that baby now like there is such a spectrum of of reasons why of and it's none of my business when i have callers who are like trying to justify uh, their, their reason. And then apologize over and over. I'm so sorry for calling you. I just, I really need help paying for my abortion. It's like, you don't have to apologize for anything. Like, please don't just, you know, let us know what you need and and we're going to help you. So try not to feel bad. (laughs) And also like, it's okay to change your mind.
0: Yeah. You know, it's so, it feels so good in in my heart and in my body that you're just like radically accepting. That's the word that comes to my mind. You're radically, mm-hmm. you know, radical acceptance. It's, I'm not here to judge. This is your journey. And that's really, I think that would really be helpful if I had that experience, you know, if somebody... <sighs> you know wouldn't judge me and and was just there to support me that'd be really critical I can see that one of the things
1: that I love about abortion access is that so many of the doctors I've worked with are among the most loving compassionate like angelic humans I've ever met like they're willing to to put their lives at risk to provide abortion knowing that they are being stalked and threatened every day and it is because of abortion providers whether they're doulas or nurses or ob's who have really taught me what it means to truly care and love my community aside from like traditional values like how can I put those traditional values that I grew up with into practice and it is because of those abortion providers and the lengths they will go to to ensure their community has access to this very stigmatized kind of health care um knowing that their windows get shot up regularly knowing that their property gets defaced knowing that their kids get stalked on you know to and from school and they still do it and that to me is just like that's love
0: yeah yeah definitely um i definitely want to go back uh to talking about your nation and how they think and feel about um, abortion. Um, Because I don't want to gloss over the fact that abortion is sacred. That is how I came to learn about you. I read an article uh, titled abortion is sacred. And I, I love that statement. Could you go deeper into that?
1: Yeah, abortion is sacred because everyone knew that it happened and that the pregnant person knew. Okay, just a a little bit of a side story. So my husband and I were talking about this, like what, why don't our people talk more about like abortion and giving birth? And he was saying, you know, even if, if the pregnant person couldn't necessarily handle being a parent, they still wanted to give birth, that community stepped in to help with that child, right? And if they felt like it was not the best time to have a child, whether because of famine or war with another nation or drought, migration, any of those things, they knew what was best and what would be feasible nine or 10 months from now, right? It is that intimate knowledge of of the environment, of the land, of when water is coming, that is sacred, and that has that we are not above those things, but rather we are stewards of all of our natural resources, the water, the plants, the animals. We are. We don't own these things we are stewards we have an obligation to the land to the environment to um to make sure everything is growing the way that it's supposed to that the animals that we're going to hunt during hunting season have the food that they need to to um have more deer have more rabbits or or whatever right like everything is connected and if we don't have those things lined up for us for the next harvest we notice that there isn't that much rain and we get pregnant we know that we know what we what could happen and we evaluate and mitigate that risk because we know best and having that kind of knowledge again about our bodies and what is around us is sacred so it's not just like the act of having an abortion it's the impact that it has on the entire community and being mindful not just of our needs as individuals but our community's needs and um how our decisions impact everybody yeah and as far as what what my tribes think uh because again because of colonization because our colonizers were the spanish and our people didn't write things down um it was just oral story. And we know that oral stories change over time. They change, you know, depending on who's telling them and, you know, time of the year or whatever. Um, and as time goes on stories change and we will just never know, but we knew it was a fact of life because there are plants here. There are things that help us do the, do take care of our bodies, not just abortion, arthritis, lactation, all of the things, right. Uh Healing warts like everything we have, what we need around us, we just don't take care of it. Um, but because our colonizers were the Spanish, and of course, very Catholic, so many uh Christian denominations, Mormonism, Presbyterians, Evangelicals, Baptists, Methodists, all of those have come to proselytize on native land and have tried to recruit I guess uh natives to to you know be saved or or whatever and the very conservative views about abortion and about marriage and about gender roles and the you know the the very nuclear family which is not traditional for us by the way um those kinds of, of ideas and concepts uh were brought here and forced on us. We just kind of integrated it. So even within my own communities where I grew up, where my family is, they also don't agree with my views. They also don't, you know, think talking to my kids uh, about consent and naming uh, a a vulva and a vagina and labia, instead of like calling it, you know, a hoo-ha or whatever, like, not giving it a nickname like i'm trying to protect my family um by teaching my kids how to properly name their body parts and not be ashamed of them and i mean my husband and i have um dictionaries of our Karis language which is the root language of what we speak in laguna And they have names for penis and vagina and anus and like all of the things. So we knew what those were. Um, It's not anything new or, 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 you know, radical that as Native people, we're talking to our kids in this way because there's evidence that our ancestors did it too. And so unfortunately, I will just never know exactly what they thought about it. But what I can do is glean what I can from the resources I have around me, which is, you know, this book on different plants here in the Southwest and this language dictionary and, um, stories or, or terms about queer people or trans people and how they were treated. Um, and compared to how, I mean, even the men in my, my own dad, you know, making homophobic jokes, using homophobic slurs and, um, you know, those kinds of things, Uh, hearing that growing up from the native men in my family, like it's, it's pretty looking back on it now. I'm like, Holy shit. Like we are, we have internalized so much of that misogyny and sexism and homophobia and, and xenophobia into our own communities. So it expands beyond abortion. It's, it touches every group that within our own communities that isn't straight and, and married and christian
0: and you know i the article about abortion is sacred um was on facebook and so i clicked on the author led me to your profile and in your main bio on facebook it literally says abortion should be free and i love that i know that um Uh, I work a lot with period care and things like that and we believe that period products should definitely be free and I would love to know more. Why should abortion be free? How do we make it free? Uh, Yeah, love that. Yeah, Um,
1: so when I say abortion should be free, I don't mean like doctors shouldn't be paid and clinics shouldn't be paid. I'm saying that it needs to be subsidized. Every everything, every kind of health care that anyone needs in their lifetime should be covered. We should all be contributing to each other's health because it means that is that that is the health of our communities Um, and that also means like taking care of the resources around us and and not being restricted by the government or or by corporations um, or both of them working together, both of those entities working together against the people um, you know, for example, the government not wanting to move towards universal health care subsidized by the federal government, which would be which would cost much, much less than what they're giving to um, to the Department of Defense, for example, which have like a billion a you know, multi-billion dollar budget. Um, it's just not profitable to have people healthy. Like abortion must be free. Every kind of healthcare should be free, whether it's cancer treatment, whether it's asthma treatment, whether it's contraception, or even fertility treatment. All of that should be subsidized by the government, because if we, again, can make decisions for our own bodies, our communities are safer, and they're healthier, and if we have access to (coughs) medically accurate, not just um, medically accurate health education, but also um, providers who are required by law to provide us with medically accurate information that is free of their own personal biases about, you know, aside from like professional medical opinions, but their own personal, you know, religious or or other values about how people should be living their lives. It's so much easier for providers to move in that route when we have a a privatized healthcare system with independent um insurance companies who can say what gets covered and what doesn't. I mean, states have the power to say, okay, in our state, abortion care is not covered in insurance, even if Blue Cross Blue Shield is like a nationwide company, right? Like in my state, abortion will not be covered. So the fact that states get to pick and choose what kind of healthcare coverage is going to be covered in their state and how much of it will be covered or what the deductible is or, or any of those things. That is so cruel um, to, to limit um, uh, not just the access to that care, whether financially or, or geographically, but also to say you can only get this much care before you have to pay for it yourself. So until we realize um, gaps in, in income and housing and clean water and make it illegal to redline um, housing and making, you know, right now a lot of states are engaged in the redistricting process for Congress and their state legislatures and making sure that that is as equitable as possible, that process, and that everyone gets even though personally, I'm like all for the downfall of this country, Um, but until that redistricting process is made more equitable and people have better representation and better access, things are gonna continue the way they are, people will continue to be unhealthy. There was a study done in the 2000s where they found that only 13, 13 grocery stores that carry fresh fruits and vegetables and fresh meat, 13 of those grocery stores existed on the Navajo Nation and that Navajo Nation covers three or not covers but touches three states that is criminal that there are 13 there I mean I uh I was in um Chicago a few years ago and like everywhere is like a grocery store and like some little restaurants and like I could barely afford it at that time but like those things are also expensive and WIC and all of these other state, um, state funded programs barely scratch the surface to help people survive on, on fresh food rather than high calorie, low nutrition food. Um, so yeah, I mean, that directly contributes to the health of a community. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I, I mean, because I love abortion, like abortion must be subsidized by the government, but so should everything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What else are my taxes going to? Yeah. That's what I, am. I am happy to pay more taxes. I am more than happy to pay more taxes if it means that my kids get a better education, that the teachers are being paid more, that they're not having fucking bake sales to get classroom supplies. And if it means that. Uh, there's going to be uh, low income or like really good, nice quality housing for low income families um, where there, it will be running water, running clean water. And they have, they also have access to good, good schools in their public school districts. Like I'm more than happy to pay taxes for that. Um, but that's not what they're going to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's um, so I just recently moved to Los Angeles and uh, you know, I've been living in New Zealand for the past four years and I am very unaware of what kind of grocery stores are over here in Los Angeles. And so, um, me and my partner, we just decided to go to it. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was, um, it, it was like a a cheaper grocery store. Right. And so we went and it was in a, uh, You could tell that it was in an underfunded neighborhood, poor neighborhood. Um, There was lots of homeless people everywhere. We went in. um, And like the produce, like there was strawberries, like moldy strawberries on sale. And it just enraged me. It made me so angry. And you know who's shopping at that grocery store? It's, um, you know, Mexican people and Latinas and Latinos and... (laughs) It just made me so angry. And because I have so much privilege, I'm able to afford groceries at Ralph's, for instance, or Trader Joe's, which gives me much fresher fruit and, you know, just food in general. I
1: hate this country. (laughs) I love my land. I hate this country.
0: (sighs) It's so hard because I, maybe it's because every morning I said the Pledge of Allegiance and it brainwashed me but I really do love this country I just am very mad at it and I want it to change and I, and and so one of the reasons why I moved back to America because New Zealand's an awesome country it's got some issues on its own but I feel like it's moving in the right, right direction um, but the reason why I moved back to America is because I felt like there's so much change that needs to happen and I and maybe maybe I can help facilitate that I'm curious to know um, what's happening in Texas right now, because I know that there's tons of um, legislation around abortion happening, and I'd love to know your take and what can we do about it So
1: in Texas with sB eight it essentially uh, prohibits abortion after six weeks or once there is um, cardiac activity which The Texas legislature calls a fetal heartbeat. Again, it's not a fetus, it is an embryo. It's cardiac activity, it's not a heart. Um, And uh, any private citizen can um, sue anybody who helps a pregnant person obtain an abortion. And that means the driver, that could mean a driver, someone who drives someone to the abortion clinic. It could mean an abortion fund. It could be a doctor, it could be a clinic, it could be a nurse. And that private citizen uh, can get can get a financial reward of like ten of at least ten thousand dollars, so essentially a bounty. Um, and that is really scary because now we have to be even more wary of our neighbors and what we say about abortion or um, our beliefs. And and for people who don't want to talk about it and don't you know are afraid of that, like. They should be afraid. That is a scary thing to, to do. And it and it's meant to be scary. It's meant to be financially destructive to people who believe in, in access to abortion. Um, so that way we can just shut up about it. Um and there was a doctor Dr. Baird or Dr. Braid, I don't know how to pronounce her name, I'm sorry. Uh who did an abortion after that law went into effect. And I think he got sued or something. And the person who sued him wasn't even in Texas. He was like in Arkansas. And this law, anti-abortion people have been very open that their goal is to, you know, one of their goals is to make one of the most ridiculous laws on abortion, the most restrictive and have it tested at the Supreme court, even if it doesn't get you know, passed in the, even if there's an injunction or, or something and our take on it as an organization at indigenous women rising is uh, it is morally wrong to inhibit abortion at all because here in New Mexico, there are no limits on abortion. Um, and it is one of the states in the country where people come to, to have abortion care if their state restricts it after a certain gestation. And you know we have some of the best doctors the best doulas in the world people come from all over the world to get good quality health care and this law means whether it's southwestern women's options or Planned Parenthood here in Albuquerque that the the clinic staff are putting themselves more at risk um, financially legally physically um providing abortion care to people from texas but again we do it we we do what we can for our relatives next door because it is the morally right thing to do and um yeah it's what we're seeing in texas is being replicated in other states and it's the states that we fund the most oklahoma north dakota south dakota um kansas the Carolinas, Florida. I mean, we're starting to get folks in states we've never served before, and they are very conservative states Montana, Wyoming. Um, it's, I'm afraid for our people who need abortion care, who live in states where their legislature is like, we're going to do the same thing as Texas, like, that's our model, because that means that that's, um, That's more resources for us to spend, not just on abortion care, because, I mean, of course, the further along someone gets, the more expensive it becomes, but also travel costs. We also cover flights, buses, gas, hotels. That means more and more people are going to need those resources. And we're a small organization, and we're not the only ones. And an abortion fund does not exist in every state and we are one of like two or three nationwide abortion funds in the country right and most abortion funds only fund like certain states or certain regions or certain populations and i just i imagine it's it's going to get harder and more expensive for for people to get abortion care and that certain clinics are going to be they're going to be under a lot of strain and a lot of pressure and have their resources, their staff resources spread pretty thin um, as more of these laws go into effect.
0: My conservative father, Mm -hmm. um, he asked me the other day um, to name one of the most racist places that I can think of. And my answer was where I'm from, South Dakota. (laughs) And it just makes me sad that my my state is like the leader, the leader of white supremacy and taking people's uh access to health care away
1: yeah it's a it's a hard thing to to reckon with knowing that where you're from, your community is actively contributing to to the destruction of other communities that they quite frankly, might not even care about and disregard every day when they're, you know, living their lives, whether getting groceries and making value judgments about the natives that they see or, you know, hearing someone is native and having, you know, these thoughts pop up in their head about, you know, how native should be or how native should act or um, any of these things. I, that's hard.
0: Yeah. And, and, I grew up in a family that is very loving and very accepting and the people in my community are, they're the same. And so I, they're, I i honestly, I can't, I think that they're ignorant. And so that's part of me wanting to facilitate change. I'm trying to educate. And... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's enough. Um, I, you know, I one of the questions that I have for you is, how what, you know when somebody disagrees with you? When 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 somebody's a hater and they they comment that what you believe is wrong, like do you do you clap back? Because I do you educate? Do you because I get angry and I know that there is a divinity and sacredness to anger. But also, yeah, I don't know. I don't like how
1: how, like how how useful is your anger, right?
0: Yeah,
1: it is so useful. It is so useful. Um, As I get older, I am more aware of how my words impact people, especially on things that are really controversial, and. I used to clap back. I used to be like, you know, saying whatever thing comes to mind. And now um, I'm just like, you know what? I am going to pray for you that you develop some compassion for people that you don't know and people who do not share your life experiences. And that shuts people up real quick because they don't expect someone to react with them with compassion that they will not extend to other people. And at the end of the day, their reaction and their inaction to change their ignorance is not your place. It you can only do so much. You can I mean the saying is so true, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot force it to drink. If someone is unwilling to extend compassion and a listening ear to someone who is very different from them and who makes them uncomfortable, that is a reflection of them and their unwillingness to be vulnerable and admit that they did not know something. And that is one of the hardest things as a human to do. But it is also one of the most necessary things that we should be doing because when we, it's like, you know, when you expose little kids to different cultures and different kinds of foods and, and, you know, different things as they grow older, they have more of a, uh, of a worldview that is more um, accepting and listening and they can say, you know, I have this experience. I can empathize. Right. And when you meet someone who cannot relate to you, there's gonna be resistance because you're, you're projecting that discomfort and um, shame. A lot of it is shame. As I've grown older, I've, un- oh, they're not saying this uh, because of me. They're saying this because what I'm saying is bringing up something for them that they have not wanted to face in their own lives. And especially with white men, I have empathy. I have, or not empathy. I have a lot of compassion for white men in particular, straight white men, because they are so put into a corner of they're put into a tight corner of what masculinity should be and how they should act and, you know, be strong and not have feelings. Feelings are for pussies. Do you want someone to think you're a pussy? Do you want someone to think that you don't know how to take care of your family and you don't know how to, you know, provide that is such a hard, unrealistic standard to, to come to. And anytime they are perceived to fall short, the people who suffer are the the people around them, their family, right? And, and with Native men, I have seen that because they also want that. But it is a trick of capitalism and imperialism that being a man, that being the strongest in the room with the biggest stick and the biggest dick, like that is going to give you power. And it's not, right? And so a lot of times... It's just like, it's like, it's like raising kids. It's exactly like raising kids because you can only teach them so much. You can only model how to treat other people and, and how you treat yourself and how you show yourself compassion and love and grace that at some point they're going to have to learn how to do that on your own on their own and that's as i get older that's how i've kind of seen working with adults you know as a a professional working in government working in abortion again abortion is the thing that has shown me the most love and the most grace and understanding and and teachable moments and the most discomfort, and I am so, so grateful to that because I genuinely feel like the people that I've worked with in abortion have also helped me be a better mother and a better listener and a better spouse and a better organizer um, that now, you know, when I am faced with people who disagree with me about abortion or, or anything else, or, you know, abolishing the prison system, there's only so much educating I can do um, until I'm like your discomfort is out of my hands. And, and being self-aware enough to, to think like, okay, I educated and, and now I'm going to reflect how I can continue to educate myself on this issue because there's always so much more to learn besides what I just told this person, right? So yeah. on Twitter, I have a lot of haters and I've been called a demonic slut. And like all of these wild, wild names. And it's just like, this demonic slut is going to pray for you. Like, what are they going to say to that? Like, I get antis telling me that they're going to pray for me and pray for my soul. Thanks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah. For thinking of me. <laughs> I just want to learn how to be so unapologetic about my beliefs. Because, you know, I, I believe that... Abortion is sacred, I believe that. But it's hard for me to admit that because what if I'm wrong? What if there's something I'm not seeing? And and I know that it's my job to educate myself and and keep my mind open to new information. But, and that's something that I really admire. Like reading your Instagram posts, you have just a sharpness to your energy. Like this is what I believe and I want that. It has not,
1: yeah, it has not been without trial and error and being corrected and being open to that, to that correction and being vulnerable and and admitting I was wrong or admitting like, maybe I didn't think that through critically enough. And again, it's that vulnerability um, that particularly white men don't want to engage in that straight men don't want to engage in and yeah just be vulnerable about admitting when you're wrong and when you don't know the the thing and you know acknowledging your privileges is is huge An even bigger part I think is is admitting that you don't have the answer to something. Because so many times in nonprofit world and corporate world and politics, I have seen white women like pull answers out of their ass that are just completely ignorant and like without proof, without any kind of analysis on race and class and all of these things. And being seen as like the, the epitome of how to do X, right? Or how to think about X. And the strongest two women I know and that I, that I work for are women who admit that they don't have an answer and that they are going to wait on making a decision or that they are going to take time to reflect on the conversation and then come back to it later, that not everything has to happen now and they don't have to have an answer now because urgency is violent when you don't give people enough time to digest what is being said or being reflected back to them and enough time to process this new knowledge and how they're going to incorporate it into their everyday life, that is violent when we don't give people that opportunity to, to not just hear what you're saying, but incorporate that change. And I feel like that has taken a really long time uh, for me to develop, but it just got to the point where I was like, no one else is thinking about me. No one. No one. Why am I crying over people who, who live rent free in my head, and caring what these people think when they're not even thinking about me? So why not just be out there about how I view abortion or how I view abolition or any of these things? Um, I feel like the The time is prime, especially for young people, to really just explore what what works and and what feels right when it comes to your beliefs and your opinions, your, your political leanings, because we can support each other. There are more people who think like us than we think, or more people who are open to learning from us and that we are open to learning from them. I just feel like we're in such a beautiful moment to share resources and feel supported even when you know that instagram post with that caption might have been just a little ignorant we can be like edit you know i was educated by so and so and like not feel bad about it or not feel you know not feel yeah feel embarrassed um that's natural but like feel a sense of like look i'm learning you can learn too. See how easy it is without saying, nope, you know, deep down you know you're wrong. You're like, nope, I'm right, this is right. You know, fuck off. You're you're just a hater if you don't, if you don't agree with me. Um, but yeah, when you're when it's coming from like a genuine place and knowing that, you know, you have room to learn, everyone else is gonna see that learning is possible too.
0: How can we best support you? Um, plug any paid offerings, plug, plug anything that's important to you
1: Mm mm-hmm uh so of course donate to us paypal.me me slash iw rising and if you can't that's okay just share our stuff reach out to us um if folks are able to donate please invest in black trans leadership i'm always um asking people to go donate uh, to Snap for Freedom, which is an incredible organization in Atlanta that is led by Black trans folks who are organizing um, to uh, shut down a jail where, you know, Black trans people are are held um, and have had their their freedom and, and human dignity taken away. Uh, and if folks really are interested or want to start learning about intersectionality when it comes to reproductive justice, um, please go look at um, Accessing Reproductive Care Southeast or Arc Southeast. They are this incredible Black-led, queer-led abortion fund that serves the Deep South and I just, I have so much love and respect for them. They've taught me so much. Um, but yeah, if not us, like go invest in black leadership because we're in it together. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I got. Sure. You can follow me on, on my Twitters and my Instagrams because I'm pretty funny on there too.
0: Love it, love it. Well, thank you, Rachel, for being with us. All the links for what she had mentioned is in the description. And thanks so much for being with us. I hope you loved that episode with Rachel. Uh, She has just an inspiring energy about her. Like, I want to be more like her. So sharp with her opinions and, you know, also open to learning. Because as I've said before on this podcast, perfectionism and individualism is an aspect of white supremacy. So we need to cut the idea out of our brains right now that we need to have it perfect. And also we can make mistakes and still make change. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you in the next one. Bye everyone.